Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome to Movie House Concessions on the MHM Podcast Network, where each episode we pull a random film from the display case to see if it tastes as fresh as the day it was released. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chris. And for today's episode, we're reviewing Deep Impact from 1998. The promise we made to each other a few months ago when we reviewed Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, starring Robert Duvall, unfortunately, Tia Leone, and Elisha Wood. Uh, but before we agree we, on that, then yes, we do agree on that. One good thing about this film, it kills Tia Leone, not in real life, unfortunately, just uh, unfortunately the character, but and not fast enough, unfortunately, <laughs> no, but no. you know, <laughs> well, we have to build up to the thing that I like most about the film, but uh, all right. Uh, I, and I have this summary. Uh, you can continue to drink your uh, whiskey and Coke there. while <laughs> I read away. A group of high school teenagers are participating in a sky-watching session for an astronomy club during May of 1998. Teenage Leo Biederman notices an unidentifiable object in the night sky. Leo's teacher, Mike Perry, sends a picture of the object to an astronomer in Arizona, Dr. Marcus Wolf. Dr. Wolf determines that the unknown object is a comet on collision course with Earth. Dr. Wolf hurriedly attempts to drive the information to colleagues due to a faulty internet link, which happened a lot during the 90s. But unfortunately, he is killed in a car crash while en route. A year later, a lowly background journalist for CNBC, Jenny Lerner, stumbles onto a story that the United States Secretary of the Treasury, Treasury Alan Rittenhouse, is resigning due to a suspected affair with a woman named Ellie. When Jenny attempts to question Rittenhouse about the affair, the secretary informs her that she has the story of the century. A short time later, Jenny is apprehended by FBI, FBI agents who take her to a secret meeting with the United States President Tom Beck. President Beck confronts her about her knowledge about ELE and tries to convince Jenny not to run the story for 48 hours in return for a prominent role in the press conference he will arrange. Jenny agrees, but continues to investigate ELE, which she learns is an acronym for Extinction Level Event. Two days later, President Beck announces that the comet Wolf-Biederman is on a collision course with the Earth and will impact the planet in roughly one year. The president informs everyone that if the comet collides with the Earth, it will likely cause humanity's extinction. However, he also reveals that the United States and Russia have been working together in constructing a special space shuttle called the Messiah that will travel to the comet with a group of astronauts who will drill into the comet and place nuclear, nuclear bombs deep in, beneath the surface. Once detonated, scientists believe the explosion will either destroy the comet or divert its trajectory. Months later, the Messiah leaves orbit around the Earth with a crew of five American astronauts and one Russian cosmonaut. The Messiah is commanded by Commander Oren Monash, piloted by Andrea Andy Baker, and navigated by Mark Simon. The Messiah also contains nuclear specialist Colonel Mikhail Tolchinsky, medical specialist Dr. Gus Partenza, 
and veteran astronaut Captain Spurgeon Fish Tanner. Yeah, I, real quickly, I like how in one space shuttle they managed to get every demographic in there that they could. It's true, but uh, I didn't have I didn't put Blair Underwood into my summary because I didn't see what his character actually did other than to be the black astronaut. <laughs> yes, well, that was his character. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, Jenny's career on Earth is on an upswing as she is seen as one of the trusted faces for the crisis. However, Jenny's personal life is in shambles as she tries to balance life with her recently divorced parents, Robin and Jason Lerner. Jason has recently remarried to a woman who is nearly Jenny's age. Robin struggles with her new life alone. A short time later, the Messiah lands on the comet and begins drilling. The process takes longer than anticipated, and the drilling crew is still on the surface when the comet's rotation moves them into the sunlight. The surface of the comet begins to erupt in debris and gases. Orin is blinded, and Gus is propelled into space by erupting gases. The remainder of the crew escapes the comet and detonates the bombs. However, the detonation does not destroy the comet or divert its trajectory, but instead splits the comet into two pieces, now both on a course to collide with the Earth. Even worse, the Messiah loses the ability to communicate with mission control. President Beck informs the world of the Messiah's mission failure. He also announces that the United States has a backup plan where 800,000 randomly selected Americans will join 200,000 pre-selected individuals in underground shelters in Missouri. Once there, the million people will live for two years while everything on the surface dies. President Beck imposes martial law to keep control of the society. Leo Biederman and his family are pre-selected to live in the shelters, but Leo's girlfriend, Sarah, and her family are not. To ensure that Sarah and her family will survive, the underage Leo marries the underage Sarah. The marriage will allegedly allow the Hockner family access into the shelters. At the same time, Jenny meets with her mother, who has come to grips with her face, fate, since elder Americans will not be allowed into the shelter. Shortly afterwards, Robin commits suicide rather than facing death from the comet. Jenny confronts her father about her feelings that he abandoned Jenny's mother and tells him that she feels like she is an orphan. Jenny is pre-selected for the shelter as a trusted national journalist. Leo's plan to get the Hockners into the shelter fails, and Sarah decides to stay with her family. The United States and Russia's last-ditch effort to deflect the comets with ICBM missiles fails and the world prepares for destruction. At the shelter, Leo decides to return home to get Sarah. Leo reaches her on the freeway and takes her and her baby brother on a motorcycle to high ground. Sarah's parents stay behind and meet their fate. Jenny gives up her seat on a helicopter to her friend and heads to her father's beach house to make amends before the end of the world. Once there, father and daughter reconcile on the beach. The smaller comet hits the Atlantic Ocean and creates a tsunami that destroys the entirety of the East Coast. Jenny, Jason, and the Hockners are killed by the tsunami. Leo, Sarah, and her baby brother make it to the high ground in the Appalachian Mountains and avoid the devastation of the tsunami. Meanwhile, the crew of the Messiah concoct one last plan to destroy the larger portion of the comet. Fish proposes flying the Messiah into the hollowed portion of the remaining comet and detonating the remaining nuclear bombs aboard the Messiah. Once again in contact with Mission Control, the crew say goodbye to their families and execute their plan. The Messiah crew is successful, and their remaining comet is destroyed before impacting the Earth. Months later, after the waters of the tsunami have receded, President Beck speaks to a large crowd at the partially rebuilt United States Capitol. 
The president encourages all people of the earth to remember those lost as they begin to rebuild their world. And that is deep impact. Fade to freaking black. <laughs> I can't wait for deep impact too. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. Deep impact was released on May 8th, 1998, the same day as woo and little men. <laughs> Same, <laughs> same month as that was a horrible movie. Woo! Yeah, that was. <laughs> oh God, I can't forget that one. Uh, same month as Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which caused us to even review this in the first place. The Horse Whisperer, Lawn Dogs, Bullworth, and Hope Floats, made on a budget of eighty million dollars, it grossed uh, over one hundred forty million dollars in the United States making it the eighth highest grossing film of 1998, right behind such classic films as The Waterboy, Dr. Doolittle, and Rush Hour, and right in front of films such as Godzilla, Patch Adams, and Lethal Weapon 4. The film actually grossed over $349 million worldwide and was the sixth highest grossing film of 1998 on a worldwide box office. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 45% critics and 43% audience. And that is the numbers I have on Deep Impact. Rotten Tomatoes got it right for a change. Oh, no, I disagree. Shane would be proud. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> but all right. We, now, we talked about this one in passing and Fair and Loathing and became a, a tangent that I was actually interested in exploring because you had such incredible venom for this film. And this was, oh yeah, go ahead. And I, although I can't say, oh, it was one of my all time favorite films. I remembered enjoying it. I actually own a copy on Blu-ray. How old were you when you first saw it that you remembered enjoying it? 26. Oh God, you were an adult. I know I was an adult. I was not young at all. Were those those your drinking years? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, the only, those those have gone up to, well, my late forties right now, but (laughs) yeah, exactly. Well, Oh, so wait a minute. So you're not you're not quite in that demographic yet. You still have a chance to be saved. Yes, no, I could still be saved. It was something. I yeah. Wait, anybody over fifty? Fuck, I can still be saved. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Unless you have a special skill like reading the news on MSNBC. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's okay. So for starters, the luckiest man alive was Gus Partenza, who got killed halfway through and didn't have to finish the mission yeah. or the movie. Yeah, he got to go make Z- Zathura or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's almost like I have I have no way to discuss this movie movie other than I wish you would just read your synopsis again and I could just cut in every sentence because that's the best way to do it. I noticed that this movie and this is maybe the first time this movie wasn't even good enough for us to do a commercial for. No, let's see. Commercials are for lunchtime movie review. Movie house oh, concessions okay. are some somewhat serious considered movie reviews, or at least that was the idea at one point. So, lunchtime movie review is more like we're going to shit all over this film. So. Yeah. So, so serious movie reviews, meaning that this could be on par with like Citizen Kane or something then, well, is what you're telling theoretically, me. Theoretically, yes, it could be. Theoretically, okay. <laughs> so, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that I like this film like that. I don't. I enjoyed this film. I liked the realism of this film and the fact that this idea of like, hey, there's a realistic. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
I think you just said you liked the realism of this yes. Film. I mean, I, I know yeah. it's still covering on at a surface level, you know, like, hey, if this actually was going to happen, you know, th- they wouldn't be making decisions like, hey, no one over 50 gets to go into the ground, <laughs> which probably not a bad they, thing. They, or they wouldn't be making decisions like we have an entire year. Let's save 800,000 people in one state. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yes, that that's that's ridiculous as well. But um, imagine trying to do that on the down low and everything like that. I, mean, I, I compare this and, and the reason I compare this is because Armageddon that came out like two or three months later, you know, during the summer of 1998, which that is such a rock and roll video approach to to uh, to a comet or in that case an asteroid hitting the earth that it gets to absolutely ridiculous levels that as much as i did like armageddon and i've reviewed armageddon uh on this i believe the same podcast uh, i you know i like this one better than armageddon i i think uh, yeah and and there's many problems with it i I real I I cannot as we've already hinted at I can't stand Tia Leone as an actress I really no. and I really don't care about any of her storyline other than she kicks it off the kind of the investigative nature of it I like that element of it but after the press conference don't give two shits about anything else that happens with her or the rest of the film. <laughs> oh, but, but she has daddy issues uh, that she does. And I'm sure she, you know, and her character does too, but that is, <laughs> you know, th- that is a completely, you know, like it's not, I, it's not what's important to me. And I don't think it helps drive anything else uh, along, you know, it, like even the uh, Leo Biederman character, the storyline with Elijah Wood, I thought, thought had more relevance uh, as to the kind of the uh, overarching story of, you know, that he's not going to give up on something like his hope continues to survive. And, you know, he rather be with her at the end than live without her. And he goes back and ultimately does save her because he got the motorbike. Cool. But, and apparently she would rather not be with him. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm true. sorry, but if I'm choosing, if, if the chick I love is choosing certain death over me, Maybe time to let her go. Yeah, I'm just saying. That's just me. Call that selfish. Well, when you're in that first high school love, you know that's it's just hard to to the part ways. But now he's saddled with a kid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you notice he made her carry the kid up the hill. Yeah, no kidding. Living in the Appalachian <laughs> Mountains. <laughs> yes, that's right. And the only was, and it's amazing that. These two 12-year-olds, two 12-year-olds were the only one wise enough to think, hey, why don't we use a dirt bike to get up the hill and outrun the wave? Yeah. No one else thought that part through. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, and why were you waiting to that point? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. if there was – the earth is, what, two-thirds water? So there's a mm-hmm. you know, better than average chance it's going to hit the ocean, and if it hits an ocean, then it's going to – then it's going to uh, cause a tsunami. So everybody oh, yeah, should – yeah, property values in Nebraska should have been skyrocketing, <laughs> you know, right after the president's first announcement. And it, and it was the weirdest tsunami ever because I read in the, the little notes studying for this is that the wave that hits New York is actually coming from the West. <laughs> oh, I have to go back and watch that now. Yeah, that's what it said is like that, that. Wow. When they did the special effect, they did it basically backwards. So interesting. OK. Whoopsie. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> little details such as that. but uh, uh, You know what? If that's the biggest problem in the movie, wow. <laughs> well, it's not the biggest problem in the movie. I think, uh, other than Tia Leone, though, I think it has okay. a pretty good cast. 
I, I, I don't have a problem with most of the cast members. They just didn't have anything to do. I mean, even Morgan Freeman, I thought, was very shallow and cliched and everything. The only character I really liked was the Robert Duvall character. I thought he was really good. A lot of people said that Morgan Freeman was really good. And, you know, Morgan Freeman did his usual stellar job reading the lines he had. I just felt Robert Duvall brought a little bit of uh, humanity to it. But everybody else was just, you know, when I was watching this movie, the funny thing was, and this is this is serious. It would have been a great movie in the 50s, you know. <laughs> no, seriously, because this reminded me of something that Ed Wood would have done if he had a big budget. It had all the cliches, the very stale characters, the very stale dialogue, the very cliched over the top, you know, overarching story. It was it was something, again, that I just felt like I could see Ed Wood if someone gave him 80 million dollars. This is the movie he would have made. I didn't see anything that said, oh, my God, Mimi Leader just just owned this movie. She really made this something special. It was it was by the numbers movie making, in my opinion, from script to from script to scene. No, I agree with you. It's absolutely by the numbers movie making. There was nothing risky about this project. Uh, you know, it was apparently being developed by Spielberg for a long time. And then ultimately he handed it over to her to actually take it to completion and just executive produced. But I could see Spielberg doing it very similarly. I don't, you know, yeah. I, you know, I don't see it as being drastically different. It's, it ends on a, a somewhat hopeful note as most Spielberg films do. I like the fact that one of the comments hit and that there was actual consequences uh, and C 1980 meteor. Well, no, that was horrible. <laughs> that was a shitty fucking meteor. Movie. <laughs> Scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, but I loved it when I first saw it. I, I mean, it had Sean Connery. So it was like balls yeah. there, but it's, it, you know, like the, this, this had a much more like realistic consequences. You know, I liked the idea of the tsunami and the impact that would, that would have on the coast. And uh, that's what I talk about with a sense of realism as to, you know, like Armageddon where like, oh, something hits in the middle of New York and it's just like, oh, they're uh, part of the skyscraper falls and, and someone's yeah. yelling about his dog. <laughs> Some in people in Queens are pissed. Yeah. I mean, that was like it was like it was kind of just it was really it was car it was almost comic book like. And, uh, you know, if, if if a meteor hit in, you know, like the size of a car in the middle of New York, I mean, it'd be, it'd be absolute devastation. It wouldn't be just like some. Eddie Griffin screaming about his dog oh. falling in a fucking hole. But so, so it would be the equivalent of say meteors the size of houses hitting a space shuttle, but they just bounce off. Yeah, yes. Yes. Okay. Which happens Meanwhile, in both. In films, reality, which happens a in both. Chunk of ice the size of a chicken hit the real space shuttle and destroyed it. <laughs> yeah. In this movie. Yeah. Yes. You know okay. what I mean? You know, I, I, I you know, I kind of the idea of like. If the, these I, both in Armageddon and this, they both have the same approach of like, we're going to come up behind it and land. Yeah. And it's like, how the fuck do you get through all that debris? Because that you don't have shields. This isn't Star Wars. It's like, no, exactly. I, I mean, the, well, and you have to listen to what you're saying right now. You are comparing the feasibility and reality of a movie to a Michael Bay movie. I mean, come on. 
that alone tells you where we're at with this movie. I mean, I would have liked maybe it would have been better for you if they would have sent Optimus Prime and Bumblebee up to take care of that for you. Ah, see, I'm not a fan of Transformers movies, so I don't know. <laughs> but it's funny. You talk about like that brings up a, you know, just one of the many things you talk about how. They come up from behind and they're going through the meteor field and everything. And yet prior to that, there there's the scene in the bar where Robert Duvall is, you know, he walks up to all the younger astronauts. and He's like, you know, I understand I'm the old guy and blah, blah, blah. And they're telling him, look, you haven't trained for this mission. You're not ready. You don't you know, you haven't trained for it. Yet he's the one who's doing all the flying and landing through the asteroid field. Yeah, I mean, I, th- that was one thing that bothered me about that is like, okay, his reflexes at that point, it's like, you're going to let Duvall do that? I wouldn't let him back the car yeah. out of the driveway, you know? <laughs> well, I, it was really funny also, you know, talking about, I, I, and I don't know if we're going to have any kind of structure to this because I think no, I'm don't. just going to go off on tangents and bash things left and right. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I don't want to be that guy that just bashes movies, but this movie is in, it direly deserves to be bashed. But what I was going to start to say was when I first saw it versus when I saw it last night, so I rewatched it for the first, I'd seen this when it came out in the theaters originally, and I haven't seen it again until last night when I watched it for this podcast. And I had remembered the story with Elijah about, you know, the Elijah Woods storyline with him, him and Lily Sobieski. I thought that was more of the storyline of the original movie. And when I watched it this last time, I was really surprised at how little that was actually a storyline in the movie. And I just had forgotten just how much time the Taya Leone character got in this movie. Yeah. And they really they, they should have just offed her early on and developed that that time to the other characters. Because there was just not enough of anything in this movie. It just seemed like it didn't have enough character development. It didn't have enough special effects. There wasn't enough love story, not enough you know, action, not enough drama. It just seemed to kind of come up short on everything, like it, it would introduce something and then not finish it. Other than Taya Leone, which they just kept pounding you over the head with over and over and over. And it's like it's two hours long. And they don't really say anything. And so I, I just had forgotten just how little the Elijah Wood character was in the movie it, when, when I first saw it. it you know, and, and I agree with you. I remember that as a much more substantial part of the film. And and because of that, you know, that almost like tick I get when I hear Tia Leone's voice, it, yeah. you know, that I was like, God, she's back on the screen again. God, she's back <laughs> on the screen again. And like. <laughs> Damn, she's in this. You know, when does yeah. she get wiped out by the tsunami? Is that at the end? <laughs> but yeah. it was, it was, you know, the, there isn't that much character development, and I will agree with you on that. I absolutely do. There's more. I think there's more character development than there's probably the the characters in Armageddon, or at least more realistic character development. Yeah, and. I, you know, I read something where the Elijah Wood and uh, Sarah character had a much more expansive storyline and test audiences got it said it got bogged down. And so they edited it, edited down significantly to what we have ultimately in the film. You know, I think this film would have been better in like a miniseries format or like a three or four episode uh, you know, something on streaming service nowadays, something that didn't exist back then, because it would have given more time because there are just so many characters. I mean, oh, so what I mean, you're saying is you wanted to see more of this movie. Well, I mean, there's like <laughs> you, you you don't get a lot of President Beck. 
other than him making speeches. That's all he does Mm -hmm. in the film. And it's just, you know, supposedly inspirational or informative speeches. You know, you have uh, James Cromwell, who was an Academy Award nominee. Love James Cromwell. Yeah, and I love James Cromwell, too. He was Academy Award nominee who had one scene. That was it. And I seem to I thought I'd remembered him being on screen more also other than that one scene by the boat. Right. Yeah, I thought for some reason, I thought that was more of a development in the movie itself when I first saw it. Right. And you're right. It was one scene. They're wasting great. It just seems like they they focused so much. It was like they it was like um, almost like a, a Taya Leone vehicle, like they wanted to focus so much on her and MSNBC and product placement or whatever the hell else you want to call it. They wanted to just cram that down your throat at the expense of everything else in the movie. To, to a certain extent. Yeah, I, do, I agree with you. Cause what was it? MSNBC started like two years before this. So this is probably a, a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you look at a lot, there's a lot of talented actors and actresses in this film. I mean, Mary McCormick, I actually like her as mm-hmm. an actress went on to be on West wing. And I really liked her in that. So did the guy who paid, played Toby uh, playing uh, one of the, was he, I can't remember if he was Leo's father. No, he was, he was Leo's father. Um, I thought he mm-hmm. was really good in the brief amounts of time that he had with that, you know, pretty much the astronaut crew other than uh, fish and Rod Elder uh, playing the, um, God, what's the guy's got blind? Oren. Yeah. Or, whatever. Yeah. Or, forgot his last name, Oren. Everybody else is just kind of like uh, token individuals, the token woman, yeah. the token cosmonaut, the token black guy, you know, the token. Token smart. Russian. Y- 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 oh, you said cosmonaut. Yeah. Cosmonaut. Yeah. You know, uh, token, you know, doctor character, you know, and. Uh, and they didn't really develop or do. I, I don't even under, understand what Blair Underwood was there for as what his part was, because I never saw him do anything other than take the drills out and try to drill. And the same as everybody else did other than the two pilots. Well, but that that also goes back to the whole ridiculousness of it in that John Favreau, his character, Partenza, he's a doctor. He, he's a doctor. So what is he doing up there drilling holes? He's a doctor, a medical doctor, not like a doctor of drilling holes. Uh, multitasking. <laughs> I guess I guess so, but there's there I'm sure there are other people that were you know, Bruce Willis would have better been a better drill, you know, hole driller, you know. But that's what I'm saying. Like you're talking about the Blair Underwood character. All those people were just paper thin. But again, they, they even made a thing because, well, Gus Partenza got sucked out into space and blah, blah, blah. He was a doctor at whatever. And in addition to his medical, why the hell was he there digging holes? He's a doctor. And why didn't they send more people? <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I was kind they of had curious a year to prepare and they put everything in the hands of these eight people or whatever there were. Yes. Yeah, so, with no backup. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I agree with that. One of the story flaws of the film, and there are many. But still, at the end of the day, I was entertained by the film. I was still entertained today, you know, or this this week when I watched it. It was it's still a very, in my viewpoint, it's still a very entertaining film. But I I have to acknowledge Rotten Tomatoes had it like 45 percent. People are more in line with you than they are with me. And I'm completely perplexed by that. Completely perplexed. Okay, but is there there's a difference between being a good film and an entertaining film. Correct. Armageddon, to me, was an entertaining film. It wasn't a good film, but it was an entertaining film. And again, 
Armageddon knew what it was. It was it was a big cheesy popcorn movie with, you know, a musical soundtrack to it. And it was fun. This movie took the exact same thing, but tried to take itself seriously and act like it was a plausible scenario. Again, Armageddon, it just kept itself fun and entertaining. So to me, to me, that was the more entertaining film, equally illogical or implausible. But that one gave you the popcorn factor that you needed to make it entertaining from a purely entertainment standpoint. At the end of the day, if you're talking about a good movie, they're both weak. But if I had to pick one that was more entertaining, for me at least, I go with Armageddon because it didn't try and take itself seriously and it didn't try and cram this storyline down your neck of, you know, whatever the storyline was supposed to be, faith in humanity, uh, you know, resolving your differences, whatever it may be, at least with Armageddon, it gave you, it didn't try and shove that down your throat. Yeah. And see, and and that's where I'll kind of disagree with that. Like Armageddon, although I am, I, I like that movie. Don't get me wrong. I own that movie. I own that one on Criterion. And yes, there's a fucking Criterion for it. You can believe that shit. (laughs) But it was back when Criterion first started. So they had much lesser standards. And and it has, wait, is there a Criterion for this one? No, there is not. a. Oh, thank God. So Criterion, I mean, Criterion has the director's cut of Armageddon, which has a two minute scene where Bruce Willis goes and sees his father. I didn't know he even had a father. Yeah, it's it's played by uh, the guy who's from Reservoir Dogs. Oh, damn it. I'm blanking on his name right now. The boss in Reservoir Dogs who gets the. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Elaine's dad in Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah exactly. Forgot his name. Yeah. You're going to wear that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Not going to wear that around my yeah. daughter. She said she'll meet us at the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, he got his ass blown off. Nothing funny about that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's, that's his father. It was a completely useless scene. And I went, really? That's the director's cut. <laughs> they went, Michael, <laughs> well, take out that scene because <laughs> it really slows down the pace of the Aerosmith videos. <laughs> but, <laughs> Well, unless Michael Bay is going to blow him up at the end of the scene, it's kind of pointless. Yeah. But in the, you know, Armageddon, like to me is just watching it. There's just these constantly jarring moments where I go, ah, that wouldn't really happen that way. You know, that has no sense of realism or consequence whatsoever. And it's just like, okay, I just, just take it for what it is. Take it for what it is. I mean, it walks a very, very close line to me to something like Transformers where I have to go, this is just a almost an animated movie for all intents and purposes. And I have to suspend all disbelief and for all purposes that it's, it's gone into such science fiction that it's the equivalent of star Wars or star Trek, you know, that I just go, yeah, yeah of course they can go p- faster than the speed of light. Why shouldn't <laughs> they? I mean, okay. But in this one, if you're going to go along that lines, they should have just had Superman fly around the earth backwards and stop this thing. If no, you're going to go no, to that length. No. I mean, the, the, it actually hit. People actually die. Some of the characters that we see throughout the film, it's it's not even like, and everybody in New York died because we see New, New York get wiped out. You know, we actually see, you know, some of the characters that we watch the film and even cheer for them to die, such as Tia Leone. Yes. But. Well, and who was more irritating, Tia Leone or her dad? Oh, God. I mean, they were, both, oh, my God. You know, like. 
oh come on you know you're you're marrying a woman that young and you and you expect your daughter not to have a problem with that yeah you selfish bastard So. so then, okay, so you're talking about the realism and you're talk, and I, and I under, believe me, I understand what you're saying because you're comparing the two movies and there definitely is more a sense of realism to this movie. And there is the attempt to give you more realistic characters, but ask yourself this seriously, if you're going to go down that path, what is the difference between this movie and Meteor? Other than obviously special effects and, you know, almost 20 years of uh, budget money. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, from storyline perspective and from that type of thing, this was no different than Meteor to me. Yeah. Other you know, than a bad accent by uh, uh, what is that? Uh, God, Brian Keith. Oh, God, I barely remember that. It's, yeah, it is. It, it has been since the late 80s, early 90s since I've seen yeah. Meteor. So it's it's really hard for me. I remember as a kid it coming on ABC, like Sunday night movie of the week and scaring the livery shit. It's like what things could hit the earth and kill us <laughs> like the dinosaurs. I didn't know that was an option. No one told me about that. Um, so it frightened the crap out of me as a kid. Uh, and then I watched it much later on when I think or when I was late in high school or early on that like rented it with somebody who hadn't seen it. And I went, God, this is really, really bad as far as special effects. But it's, it, I mean, I, I, I will agree with you that the cons, I still think the concept is sound. I think it's the execution. And I think in deep impact, yes. it's much better. Ex- I mean, much better special effects, certainly a, a lack of realism of like, we're going to land a space shuttle on the, the damn comet. Uh, aspect and but I think it does it better in this than it did in uh, Armageddon. You know, it really uh, Armageddon was. I mean, they might as well just cranked up Aerosmith. Aerosmith, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it's it was the it, I I just enjoyed it. It was it to me. It was still popcorn fun, and it, I mean, mm-hmm. it was a little more serious, but it was still a popcorn film for me. It was a summer. You know, it's it kicked off the summer a little earlier than usual few weeks before memorial day and i remember i think i saw it twice in the theater because somebody else wanted to see it and i said oh i'll go see it again and then i god i hope that was a good date uh actually i think it was one of my best friends i don't think it was that it was not that kind of date i you know and then it came out on um dvd and i think i just that was one of my first dvds i got was this film and and i owned it for many many years and upgraded it to blu-ray probably about six or seven years ago but i probably have not seen it since 2001 mm-hmm. or 2002 in its entirety i may have seen pieces of it on television but i'll agree with you i don't stop and watch it like i've seen armageddon many more times than i've seen this film and i probably yeah, like this film better but it's i mean it's like Watching Jaws and watching Schindler's List. They're both Spielberg, but <laughs> one is going to make you feel bad. <laughs> and this one, <laughs> and this one's going to make you feel a little bad. So, you know, I got to, you know, I got to prepare myself for it and, and, and to watch it. It's not I, I can just turn off my brain and just eat popcorn and just watch the pretty lights. Yeah. And see, and I I mean, here's the thing. I realize you have to suspend disbelief to an extent when you're going to see a movie. I think my problem when it comes to movies like this is I'm willing to do that. But when they try and take themselves so seriously, I think I start to push back, you know, emotionally and mentally as I'm watching it. 
And I start right out of the gate just critiquing everything I see. And that's why where in a movie like Armageddon where I can say, okay, I know what I'm in for. I know it's a Michael Bay movie. I know it's going to have a paper thin plot and a lot of, you know, shiny things, you know, in it. But I think I'm able to suspend disbelief to an extent in a movie like this because they want you to feel for these characters and then they don't develop them. And they want you to feel that sense of, you know, imminent doom. And then they don't really give it to you. I mean, it's, it's a slow build, but it doesn't give you enough along the way to, uh, to, to keep, for me at least, to keep that momentum going to the next scene because it was kind of all over the, pa- the place. There was no real pace to it. Um, it just seemed like it would just jump from part, you know, part to part and then, okay, let's get back to Taylor Leone with a video presentation of what's going to happen. And that w- it, w- it was just frustrating to try and watch that and sit through that when I'm thinking, okay, I could watch Armageddon, which was a, you know, not a great movie. I didn't love the movie. But I took it for what it was, which was, eh, you know, it's enjoyable. I can have some popcorn and my kids would probably like it and 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 go go that route with it. And the acting in that one, you kind of expected to be bad with this one. You kind of thought the acting would be better, which I think a lot of the support characters were good, as you mentioned. But when your lead is so bad and she she was just whining her way through the entire movie and she was so flat it just it just brought everything else down cuz there was so damn much of her but that's just my problem with Tia Leone I've never seen a good Tia Leone performance yeah period any film I- not at all. Doesn't exist. Never liked her. I understand why her and Duchovny d- divorced now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean this this literally it, it was it was kind of like it, like it was a first time table read or something, and she was just going through it because there it was just so there was just such a lack of emotion or anything there to to really get to. And again, they showed so much of her. They should have just taken it away from her and given it to the other characters and built the storylines around other characters. Then maybe as the asteroid's hitting or something, you have some people to attach to. You don't really care about her. You don't really care about her father. In a sense, you kind of cared about her mother. Her mother was somewhat sympathetic. But, you know, why does she – she commits suicide? We don't know that the asteroid's going to hit Earth. We don't know that everything's going to get wiped out. She's got a chance, well, you know, and if she'd have gotten her ass out of Virginia to <laughs> Nebraska or Ohio or someplace, she she could have lived. No, that's that's even ent- at even at 90 years old. No, and that's entirely possible. And I don't disagree with you all that, you know, like to me, Tia Leona's character served a purpose up to the news conference, the press conference. And yeah. then after that. I don't need that character anymore. It doesn't advance anything else. And, you know, she, and they use other well-known actors for smaller parts. I, you know, it's not like she was, it's not like Tia Leone's ever been a box office draw. I mean, no, come on. I mean, she's coming off of bad boys. Uh, another film I can't stand, but, but Michael Bay. Yeah, I know another Michael Bay. So that's, See, I actually like that movie, but again, I oh, knew what Jesus. I was in for. Oh, Jesus Christ. That, that one, <laughs> 
<laughs> that one. Oh my God. And I like Will Smith and I don't like, I dislike Martin Lawrence. Uh, I like ba- bad boys two and bad boys three better than bad boys one. I've only seen bad boys one once and I would never watch it again. I just cannot wow. stand that film, but wow. it's not an entertain. I don't find it as an entertaining film at all. No, no I, I agree with you that they could have spent more time developing characters that if you were going to have characters die, then they have emotional significance to the the audience. And and rather than being placeholders of Sarah's parents and like, yeah. oh, there's Latasha Yar, you know, um, you know, the, from Star Trek Next Generation mm-hmm. busted uh, as hell. But, you know, that that's where, you know, that she, she's. There was nothing to that character. They were, you know, she no. really had nothing to do other than I am just her mother and that's it. I hand off the baby and now you go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I just think that it, it was so thin on storylines. I mean, literally like I get the only thing I liked in the movie was the Robert Duvall character. I mean, I literally would have rather, I would have rather watched a movie of him reading Moby Dick to the other pilot, then watch this movie again because he was the only redeeming part of this movie for me. I thought he was subtle. He he played his part, you know, as subtle as the word I use, but he he didn't try and go over the top of it. He did his usual great Robert Duvall performance, and he didn't have. And again, Morgan Freeman is of that same ilk, that same caliber. But I think maybe because Morgan Freeman, I don't know that he was more prominent. But his character was more prominent, and so his speeches were bigger. And the speeches seemed to come out of nowhere. Like they they tried to do something with it. The next thing you know, it's Morgan Freeman saying, it didn't work. And then, but we were ready for a backup, and we're going to try this. Uh, I'm sorry to tell you it didn't work. It just, I realize they have to take a two-year time period and scrunch it into this movie but it just see there was no cohesiveness to it. It's like the next thing you know, we're we're nine months later, and and Margaret Freeman saying, "Yeah, that didn't work either. We're on to Plan C." Yeah, a flawed film. I will acknowledge a flawed film, but not a bad film. I just don't think it is a, as it a bad film. But do I? Okay, so do do I go too serious on this stuff in not being able to suspend disbelief enough on it? Because I look at things like when they're planting the bombs on the asteroid, right? And all of a sudden the sun is coming up and, oh my God, you know, they're not going to have time to get back. Well, we're going to get them. Why the fuck didn't they just park where they were going to plant the bombs to begin with and be right there? (laughs) That's how I look at stuff. And that's, you know, that's where I kind of come in with this whole thing of, this is why my friends and my wife and nobody wants to go to movies with me anymore because I can't let that kind of trivial stuff go even in a popcorn movie like this. I can do it with a movie like um, any Michael Bay movie because you're not going to get any real, you know, sense of reality anyway. But again, I think like a movie like this, it's so hard for me to get past that because I look at things like that. It's like, well, park closer. So I don't know. Am I too critical? uh, Well, I think you're too critical. I think you're being too critical, but you're not wrong in that. And that statement, like, there's things that why, why aren't you just stepping off the little lap, you know, elevator yes. and start drilling right there? <laughs> why, yeah. Why do you waiting? Why, why did they go so far away that you need to go and pick them up? 
I mean, there was there, there's many things about that, that that, as I said, I could nitpick this to death. It is not a flawless yeah. film by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm still entertained by it. And and I am perplexed and I don't understand why why people and, and apparently a majority of people, critics and audience don't list, don't like this film much like you. And I, I am actually shocked by it. I mean, I off the air, I mentioned to you that I was actually doing numbers for three different films. This film, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and Hellraiser. <laughs> and those ended up in critical scores and audience scores around 70% compared to this. Those are shit. Those yeah. are absolutely But shit. they expect them to be shit. That's the difference. They know what they're in for. Armageddon was shit, but it was good shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here's where I'm kind of – and here's where I, I, I kind of think – what you're saying is I think you have more of an appreciation for uh, of the movies themselves, which which I used to have before I somehow got jaded. And I don't know when this happened to me. It was sometime in the late 90s and early 2000s where I got so meticulous to I'm envious of the fact that you can enjoy movies like this. I wish to God I could. Because, again, I'm no fun for my family to be around. And I hope it's not that I'm no fun for people to listen to the podcast because I'm always so damn critical of these movies. I just I wish to God I could have that kind of sense of just enjoyment of the movies like you have of a movie like this, because I want to enjoy it. I really want to like it. I want to let myself go into it. But for me, right out of the gate, we're talking about the um you know, why didn't they park closer to where they were planting the bombs? Well, the first scene, essentially, right out of the gate. OK, the scientist, I forgot his name, you know, uh, um, Marcus Wolf. Wolf. Yeah. Who's the guy that plays him? The guy from Starman, Charles Martin uh, the Smith. guy from American Graffiti, Charles, Charles Martin Smith. Yeah. OK, so he gets the thing. He says, oh, my God, it's an asteroid. Oh, my God, I have to email this immediately. Oh, the server's down. OK, I got to jump in my car and rush it. Fucking things two years away. Okay, why is it? And, and, and right there, because I, I, again, because the second time around I knew what happened, it's like, why the fuck is he rushing? He's got two years. He can wait for the, you know, the server to come back up. And right there, I get into this whole thing of, okay, this is ridiculous. I don't have that, that um, ability anymore to just let myself go and enjoy a movie like I used to. And I really miss being able to do that. Well, and I'll agree with you that, it, you know, logically that makes no sense. But also from a filmmaking perspective is that why, what were you trying to create with that scene of his character running off the road and dying? Is well, they had to establish Joel Cola as a sponsor. Okay. Well, that, that too. <laughs> but, That's a big close up. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea that, oh, wait, oh no, he's the only one who knows and he just died. Oh, wait, no, no. Apparently that information was still found out. What was that all about then? That was that yeah. was a pointless. That was something that didn't need to even happen for the yeah. the purposes of this film. And you could have taken away that entire sequence of, or even shortened a sequence of. Oh my gosh, there it is. The internet's down. I'll try tomorrow morning, <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then skip to two years, and it would not have impacted the the emotional elements of this film is that we we as an audience know this danger is coming still, and now we know. 
peop, the government knows, but the people don't know. The, the, having him drive off the road yeah. was like, oh, now no one will know. Well, if no one knows, then we're all fucked anyway. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Well, and let's face it, for two years, you think anybody, you know how our government works. There's no way they're keeping that a secret for two years. No, I mean, no, they wouldn't have been. So, I mean, and, it was. And, and you got to believe that with all the, you know, astronomers around the world, someone else is going to see this thing. Right, right. I mean, if the, other than a twelve-year-old kid, yeah, close. If twelve-year-old kids picking up, then somebody else, the number of uh, telescopes into the sky, or or someone is going to find it, and it would have been that was like the likely outcome. So, yeah, I mean, th there are many story threads that I find incredibly frustrating. Of oh, uh, you know, Leo Biederman is going to be one of the people handpicked. Why? <laughs> like, why oh, it's named after him. He's got to be there. What? Why? Why? I mean, it's not like he has. The, he says it himself. He's the famous Leo Peterman. He hasn't used his fame for anything yet. Well, fuck that. I mean, like, <laughs> I no, I don't necessarily think that, the, you know, the high school kid who happened to point oh. his, his telescope oh. in the right direction is necessarily going to get a seat for him and his entire fucking family. To go. Well, OK, but then why does Taya Leone get a seat and why doesn't her family get a seat? I know. I, I agree with you. I absolutely. Well, because they're over 50. So they, they don't oh, that's to, true. Okay. Yeah. Fuck them. So, but, uh, but no, I agree with you on that is like, because when you're going to be living in the, the, the sandstone or limestone of Missouri yeah. or whatever, whatever it is, is that you suddenly need news anchors. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So, well, and that's the other thing. There's no way on God's green earth that they're going to be showing you all the live stuff that's going on from the shuttle, even with a 20 second delay, where they're going to be like, Oh shit, that didn't work. They're not going to put that out on live TV. And, and you know, the other thing where Morgan Freeman goes out in his first press conference and he's like, it's a year away. He's going to start a freaking panic by announcing that press conference that, Oh, well a year from now it's going to hit and blah, 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 blah. And we're taking steps. There's no way they would announce that a, a year out of something that might happen. Because all you do is, is you're going to create the freaks to come out and the doomsdayers and everything else. I, I disagree with you on that. If they thought that the press was about to blow up the story anyways, then I think they might have gotten in front of it, especially if nothing else to – uh, the, to to say that hey we're we're you know we're shutting down the markets everything's going to remain the same there'll be no gouging and taking control of stuff. What I didn't like about the scene in the film is hey President Exposition can you explain everything to me like I'm an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Well, and then he, he has mixed messages too. He talked in his first press conference. He talks about how you know asteroids are this that and where billions of years ago when asteroids collide above. And then in like his next press conference, he's like I believe believe in God. Well, those are two totally different theories, you know, evolution versus, you know, it's like you, you make up your mind, Morgan. Yeah, that, no, that's true. That That's true. All right. Or, or, at his final, pre not his final press conference, because that's that crappy ending, but at his press conference when like the first two things failed, and he's like telling everybody, you know, all right, if you can get out of New York, Boston, Atlanta, do it now. And then all of a sudden the Messiah checks back in for the first time and he's like, Ah, never mind, as you were. <laughs> I'm going to go to my bunker and get laid. <laughs> You're all on your own. All right. Well, we've shit on this film for uh, an hour, almost an hour now. So uh, all after all is said and done, on a scale to one to five, do you consider th this film a bad one or would you give it a high five? Oh, I think I'd consider it a bad one. And real quickly, I'm going to read an IMDb user review 
motorbike, I'm going to give props to motorbike on this December of 2020. I think he hits the nail on the head. I'm going to read this, this review where he gave it a 10 out of 10, believe it or not. Okay. I'm going to read this. I'll read this word for word. I'm not going to say I necessarily agree with the last sentence, but I'm going to say this pretty much hits the nail on the head for those who like the movie. Here it is. I like the bit where the massive wave knocked over all them building and bridges and stuff. That chick was pretty hot, too. End of review. (laughs) Now, I think for those who like the movie, that says it in a nutshell. That's just me. That's funny because I thought that was a review for Armageddon. (laughs) <laughs> that's true too yeah it's, it's amazing you could actually probably use that review for a lot of movies mm-hmm. godzilla you could use it for meteor natalie wood <laughs> that's that's true forgot she was in that uh the day after tomorrow oh i don't remember a hot chick in that one no 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 it applies to a lot of things but all right so you give it one or less i give it a one all right. i'll give it a one all right Hey, it's a flawed film. It wasn't as bad as Chris descri- you know, describes it. I, I think it has tremendous flaws, but I still was entertained by it. I was entertained by it in 1998. I'm entertained by it today. Uh, I'm not as entertained by it. Uh, I think uh, the I still think the concept is found uh, is sound. Going back to even Meteor, I still think that's a really entertaining concept. I think it can be really done pretty well. Um, I I don't necessarily think that Armageddon, I, I, I would give this about what I give Armageddon, which is three stars. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I like it. I think I like it a little bit better, but it's still within that range. Armageddon, I can shut down my mind and just go to numb sensation and just <laughs> go along for kind of the roller coaster element of that film. This one, I think it gives me, you know, some things to think about from time to time as to, as to how society and that responds to it, what, you know, what the government would propose on doing, you know, that, that there would be certain consequences and hard decisions to be made that it kind of runs into the face of where Armageddon never really deals with that. It just says, we're going to take these guys, uh, driller guys, and we're going to fly them up there and they're going to drill in the rock and we're all going to come back. You know, that was, Yeehaw. yeah, I mean, that was, that was an oversimplification uh, of the process and never really dealt with the kind of the worldwide consequences of it. And, you know, the, you know, the comment there, there wasn't like massive destruction. There's some destruction. I can't remember. Was it Paris that gets destroyed or in what in Armageddon? There's a couple, there's a couple cities. Yeah, there's where, a few. Yeah. yeah. They get like wiped out by smaller meteors, uh, but not the, the big one. But uh, I, I, yeah, three stars. I was entertained by it. I enjoyed watching right. it again. Probably won't watch it again for another 10 years, but you know, I don't watch. You, you liked it despite they had, despite the fact that they had one of your favorite movie things, a crappy eighties montage. D- yeah, that's true. <laughs> despite you even the- had one of those and you still powered through it. No, I still powered through it. I, I, like I said, it has a good cast other than Tia Leone. And I like Morgan Freeman as the president. I like, I like you. I like Robert Duvall and I'm not necessarily always a big Robert Duvall fan. Cause when he plays kind of that mentor type role, I think that mm-hmm. it gets a little hokey sometimes, but I liked him in that, in this film. Uh, and I didn't dislike the Elijah Wood and Sarah storyline with Lila, Lili Sobeski or whatever. It just Tia Leone. I wish he would have just been gone after the press conference yeah. and I would have liked, I, I didn't care for any of that element. I thought it was melodrama that didn't really, it didn't really tie in with anything else. I thought the, the dramatic elements of the Elijah Wood character and the Robert Duval Duval character were 
more running in sync with the, the film rather than her, her family drama of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why they should have, you know, again, axed her and developed those other storylines more. No, I no, I don't disagree yeah. with you on that one. No, I know. All right. Well, that's it for our review of Deep Impact. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comment section. And for our listeners over on MovieHouseMemories.com, please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If you've enjoyed today's review, please don't forget to listen to our YouTube channel, the MHN Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. All right. Well, that does it for this review of Movie House Concessions. Until next time, I'm Patrick. And I'm Chris. And this concession stand is now closed. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Rock On Bretta is brought to you by Marwan Nimra at Nintentine.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Concessions, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC unless otherwise noted. 